listening to a Sharesies podcast. It's Friday the 5th of November. You're listening to Recap, made for you by Sharesies. Sharesies is a wealth development platform where our purpose is to create the most financially empowered generation. And you know what's coming next? It's the disclaimer. Ah! Investing involves risk. You aren't guaranteed to make money and you might lose the money you started with. Any information we provide is general only and current at the time. If you're looking for help with your investment choices, we recommend talking to a licensed financial advice provider. More head bopping there, Alice. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thanks. We just did that, um, what do you call it, in, not in harmony. In, in sync, we're completely in, in sync. sync. We're in sync. The groove is infectious. <laughs> That's exactly why. Well, it's Casual Friday after all, uh, which is my favourite day of the week. And just as a heads up, this week we are talking to Associate Professor Sarah Walton from the University of Otago. Now she'll be talking about COP26 and how New Zealand business should pay attention to what's happening in Glasgow or risk being left behind. But we've got quite a lot to get through, so let's crack on. What's been happening, Alice? Yeah, well, earlier in the week, uh, we talked about Pfizer on Recap because the company released their latest quarterly earnings. Well, this morning, New Zealand time, uh, it was another company who has made a COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, It was their turn to release earnings, and that was uh, Moderna. Now, Moderna, of course, being another biopharmaceuticals company that has developed, as you said, a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, with Pfizer, we saw big growth because of vaccine sales, with revenue more than doubling from a year ago. Was it a similar story for Moderna? Well, yeah, it's certainly a tale of growth for the company, but the results actually came in lower than analyst expectations. So if we start off with revenue, that came in at $5 billion US dollars, and that's up from $157 million a year earlier. Uh, and that's because the COVID-19 vaccine is actually the first product that Moderna has commercialised. So that means that it's the first product they're able to sell and make money from. Mm. Uh, but that revenue number of $5 billion actually missed analyst expectations of 6.2 billion okay and and what about earnings well those came in at 3.3 billion compared to 233 million dollar loss this time last year Uh, but again it's lower the the 3.3 billion dollar profit was lower than the 3.9 billion that was expected right did i see something about moderna cutting back the number of vaccines they think they'll deliver this year Yeah, that's right. Moderna has actually cut their vaccine sales forecast for the year. Now, some doses that were going to be for delivery this year, they said have been pushed back to next year. Uh, So Moderna said they expect to deliver between 700 million and 800 million doses of their COVID-19 vaccine this year. But that's lower than the company's previous uh, guidance of between 800 million and 1 billion doses. Now, as a result, Moderna has said that they now expect to make between 15 and $18 billion in revenue for the full financial year, uh, and that's lower than uh, $20 billion, which is what they previously indicated. Do they say why they've had to push back those doses? Yeah, the company said they've been dealing with production and shipment issues. So CEO Stefan Bonsell, he said that Moderna's supply chain has become more complex with increased deliveries to many countries around the world. So he noted sort of as a comparison that at the start of the year, Moderna was only supplying to just a few large uh, large countries. 
But in addition to the supply chain issues, Moderna also said that they have some difficulty ramping up uh, their production capacity. But now they've actually managed to increase it. They've worked with their manufacturers to increase that production capacity. Mm. And lastly, how did Moderna's share price react to the news? Well, given that uh, cutback in the vaccine sales forecast, as well as uh, missing those expectations, Moderna's share price actually fell nearly 20%. Uh, Although you've got to sort of look at it in the big picture and Mm. remember that over the course of this year alone, the company's share price has more than tripled. Mm. Thanks, Alice. All right, and earnings season rolls on. I see that Uber reported their third quarter results uh, today, Jose. Yes, certainly. The seemingly ubiquitous rideshare company filed a net loss of 2.4 billion American dollars. Okay, so let's drill into that a little deeper. How did that compare with the same quarter last year? Well, it was almost double what it lost in the third quarter of 2020, where it reported a loss of $1.09 billion. Now, that's a, a 123% loss. Now, what's driving this isn't its core business, but instead the value of its investments, particularly its stake in the Chinese ride-hailing company Didi. So Didi went public in July, and since then it's been facing increasing pressure from the Chinese government on uh, issues such as customer privacy, data security, and workers' rights. And it's actually just part of a wider crackdown by Beijing on those big tech companies. But nonetheless, it still caused uh, Didi's stock price to fall. That had implications for Uber, who sold its Chinese business to Didi in 2016 in exchange for equity. Uh, The share price fall cost them $3.2 billion. Okay, and what about the rest of Uber's businesses? Yeah, other parts of the company aren't having the same impact as Didi. Uh, Uber said its revenue was $4.8 billion. That's a 72% increase from 2020, which beat expectations. The amount it brought in from bookings, now that's before deducting fees and uh, driver payments, that increased 57% to $23.1 billion. All right, and what did Uber attribute those increases to? Well, as you can probably guess, it's pandemic-related. The company said that it's continuing to recover from COVID-19 disruptions. In fact, it said that despite the DD loss, it's it's actually reached its first profitable quarter. Drivers, they said, are starting to return to the platform. The company said 640,000 new drivers and couriers have signed up since January. And they say riders are coming back as well. In the last two months, their gross mobility bookings were up 18%. And over in Uber Eats land, they reported that the number of users was was up 40% to 109 million. Interesting. Now, do we know if the same is true of other rideshare companies? Yeah, it's a good question. So Lyft, which is Uber's biggest competitor in the States, told a similar story, uh, story earlier this week. Revenue was up 73% for the quarter to $864 million, but they also recorded a loss of $71.5 million. That's an 84% decrease. So right now in Scotland, there are over 30,000 delegates from 190 countries making presentations on how they plan to cut their emissions to help limit the world's temperature increase to under 2%. Now earlier today I spoke to Associate Professor Sarah Walton. She is the Director of the Master of Sustainable Business and the Co-Director of Hi Kaupapa Hononga Otago's Climate Research Network 
at the University of Otago. Now she wrote a piece for Newsroom back in October making the point that business needs to take COP26 seriously. The risks of not doing so, she says, are very serious, even from just a simple business survival point of view. I started by asking her to give us an idea of what the heck all those people in Glasgow are supposed to be doing. So um, COP26 is um, Conference of the Parties, and um, it's a meeting of, I guess it's a global meeting, um, where lots of different representatives from countries come together to discuss um, responses to climate change. So they're talking about mitigation, so how we try and stop um, CO2 emissions, and um, a bit on adaptation um, as well. We're roughly halfway through the conference now. I think it finishes up on the 12th. In your mind, what's been some of the most important kind of pledges or decisions made so far? To to date, most of it has been uh, a lot of um, talks and by, and I think what I read this morning, the celebrities are now leaving and the um, the work is going to begin. So not really getting too much. We're starting to see a little bit of the developed versus developing nations coming through, which is what we expect to see. Um, We expect to see issues around how much money is being pledged. We're seeing more money being pledged towards the Sustainable Finance Fund, which is really important that um, you know we need that. A lot of countries haven't submitted their long-term plans, which is really um, quite disappointing. Um, and there's some that are that are showing that they have, like the EU with their long-term plan and their Green Deal, and then we're starting to see some level of leadership. As we get into the next week, we start to we'll see more of those political issues being raised. We'll see more issues around the developed versus developing countries, um, and hopefully, we see more of that money. But we really need to be seeing these long-term plans that are actually going to get us to reduce carbon emissions in a material way, so that we manage to stay under the two degrees, um, which is the really important layer coming out of the Paris Agreement, which is what what. COP26 is supposed to be about. You wrote in a piece for Newsroom last month uh, that you you wrote that business needs to pay close attention to COP26. I mean, why? What were your arguments there? What What are the risks if they don't? It's going to be very easy to dismiss COP26 if nothing comes out of it. I think there will be things that will come come out of it. So that's why I think business needs to pay close attention to it um, because things are going to start moving. So as the EU, for example, submits their long-term plans, any um, trade agreement they're going to be negotiating or getting into is going to involve some pretty stringent rules around um, carbon emissions. Um, science-based targets, what a company is doing, but also they're going to look really closely at greenwashing because they're going to start finding greenwashing. So that starts to shift um, how things have been operating. And and those are the kind of things that I think we need to be more aware of as some of the more nuanced actions around it. And so it's just, we as a country are considered to be lagging. Um, You know, we haven't put forward our long term plans and um, we're, we're looking quite high per capita in terms of our carbon emissions and mm. um, we're looking a lot at how we're going to have to offset in order to reach net, net zero so you know we we can't stand up that particularly proud at the moment so we need to actually be doing a lot more um, 
and it's quite scary to think about what we do need to be doing in order to actually transition and the sooner we start that transition the easier it's going to be otherwise it's going to be one big abrupt change so i guess that's my my message to businesses the sooner we start getting our head around it um, thinking about what you need to do as an organization um, and thinking about what's coming then the easier it's going to be um, as part of this transition because it, it is going to happen Mm, yeah, I read this morning there was some research to suggest that half the world's fossil fuel assets could become worthless by 2036 in that transition to net zero emissions. So if you're, you're, you've got all these assets or infrastructure that are based around fossil fuels, you know, you might have to mothball all that. It could be, I mean, they were looking at a scenario where the sort of stuff just might have to be mothballed and, and basically abandoned. Yeah, the, the conversation about stranded assets has been happening for some time and we've seen that, you know, sort of um, uh, divestment away from fossil fuels and, you know, there was a, a few years ago, um, one of the big families, are the, was it the Rockefellers? I, mm. I, gosh, I'm, I'm really bad now, I can't quite remember the name, but, um, they, you know, they sort of publicly announced a divestment um, strategy. So these things have been talked about for some time in terms of stranded assets, but it seems hard to believe when business seems to carry on as per usual. And that's where you've kind of got this facade of business as usual. And I guess my point is don't get um, a false sense of security by that because there's all sorts of things happening um, that are slowly shifting um, that business as usual. So, and that's, I, I guess, in terms of, you know, the stranded asset aspect as well. Yeah, in terms of New Zealand businesses, and you, you write you've you write quite strongly that New Zealand businesses need to be prepared. I mean, what do they need to do specifically, like in your mind? So, at a really first level, I think businesses need to have an understanding of of their carbon emissions, um, and many don't um, at this point. So, you know, being able to understand where your carbon footprint and where those emissions are coming from. Each year, the emissions um, measurement gets more and more sophisticated, gets more extensive for organisations. So if you're not doing it, you're now jumping into a position, you know, that's quite different from five years ago, whereas the scope three that's um, in terms of the value chain, the supply chain, has been added to each year and so there's more and more things to start measuring and including in that footprint and so that's a really first um, important point to start with and then it's about developing science-based targets which are becoming you know um, uh, really quite common overseas um, and we're seeing a few New Zealand organizations adopting that so it's not just creating some arbitrary figure of which you want to reduce your carbon emissions by but it's actually understanding the global contribution the carbon budgets and looking at what your company's doing and what it actually really needs to do um, to reduce so those are the key things that I think I would but love to see um, New Zealand businesses um, adopting and moving along because then that starts the conversation about, okay, well, if we're going to reduce, what do we do in order to reduce and how do we innovate as an organisation to bring down our emissions? And then we're starting different conversations um, and, and that's those conversations need, need to be happening. And that was Sarah Walton from Otago University there. And just before we leave you to enjoy your weekend, here's a wee update on the takeover of Afterpay by Square. 
Nice one. So what's been happening there? Well, if you don't remember, the uh, US-based platform Square has been looking to acquire the uh, buy now, pay later giant Afterpay. It is a big deal. $39 billion is the size of it. And it would be the biggest takeover in Australian history if it goes ahead. Uh, One hurdle to that was removed today. Uh, Square shareholders approved the deal, which would see the creation of what Square's founder, the Twitter billionaire Jack Dorsey. Uh, It's what he calls a payment super app. Now, there's still some water to pass under the bridge yet, though. Afterpay's uh, shareholders will vote on the transaction next month. And the deal, of course, has to get Australian regulatory approval. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you very much for listening. That was Recap for the 5th of November. And we'd love it if you gave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We sure would. Hey, Terahina. See you next week. Have a great weekend. Bye.